Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana, and I'll, I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Amit Valia today with us, CEO of Informatica, and would love to dive with him in terms of the different things that you know, the company's working on, the steady transition to the cloud, the history of the company, the importance of data. So without any uh, delay, let's start with it. Amit, can you please give us a background of the company and the various areas it's disrupting right now? I'm right. Pleasure to be on the show. It's great to meet you again. It's been a while. A lot has happened indeed. And I think to your question, it's kind of step back on the company and what we're doing today. I mean, it's a new Informatica. I think all of us know that we've been an existing company and I would kind of put Informatica as Informatica 1.0, which was pre-2015 and Informatica 2.0, which is 2016 and now the last seven years. And I think if you look at these seven years where we are is we, we all know the world of digital transformation. We all know the world of data-driven digital transformation. And what we do is simply sit in the middle, Switzerland of data, manage this enormous complexity of data, growth of data, fragmentation of data, different types of data, different latency of data, and many, many more users who want access to data. We sit in the middle, manage that data. Our goal is to remove this complexity and make this data more accessible in a good way to help companies become what we call intelligent digital enterprises. And that's what we do. Confluence of data and AI, enabling today 5,000 plus customers across the globe, across every country and every industry and vertical. So simply put, that's what we do. So, I mean, I, th I think I was getting into that in my next question as to let's talk about the Informatica in the prior 2015, you know, timeframe and perhaps, I mean, take us back and, and, and teach us when somebody in, you know, can take a hypothetical company was to go out and, and buy your product, you know, what would they get at that time? How would that be installed? How would they go about using it? And what would the benefits that they have? And perhaps after that, you could give us a bit of a, uh, lesson on how those that product family has changed in the current uh, time frame and, and how, how clients are using it now. Indeed. So Anurag, if you can again uh, take back, I think, in, uh, to the question, Informatica 1.0 back in the days was a single product on-premise licensed software company. And all that we did was provide data integration product, which was core ETL, to help do analytics from data warehouses. That's what we did in that world. You know, that was the old world of Teradata, Netiza, IBM, Oracle, SAPs of the world and us. That was the world we lived in. Now, circa, go back in time 2015, as I said, when we went private, there was a fundamental question in front of us. And I remember having this conversation with our own board. Where is the world going to be? And we saw three vectors coming in. We clearly saw digital is going to become important, more and more digital transformation. We also saw cloud is going to become the primary force. And the third is we saw many, many more use cases in data management. And of course, a need for in this complex digital world, some kind of a data platform. With that in mind, we set about building many, many new products. So we expanded a TAM from 7 billion to 44 billion. We built out a cloud native platform starting 2016 when the word cloud and data was not necessarily synonymous. And thirdly, flipped the subscription and created this IDMC platform by investing a billion dollars in R&D in the last five, six years to now be one single cloud native platform that went from almost zero to 38 trillion transactions customers using in the cloud platform. 
one product family to seven product families, $7 billion TAM to a $44 billion TAM. And pretty much 100% subscription and cloud native. So that's the journey we took. So let's let's talk again, go back to that time frame. So if I'm a customer, let's say I'm sitting in the CFO's office and I would use Informatica to extract data from my SAP platform, from my Salesforce platform, from my all other things and do some analytics at it and come up with either some projections to, you know, for, for investors or for the board about what it can do. And then today it's that same, you know, scenario that it's run on a cloud. Is that how I, I should think about it? Yes and no. So back in the days, if you think about it, to the question of take a customer, take a customer like Kroger, which is a customer of ours. Kroger would in the old days use Informatica for on-premise ETL from on-premise data warehouse to do analytics as you described, right? And analytics could be of any type, you know, what if analysis, understanding the business, so on and so forth. But in the new world, that is only one of the four primary use cases we serve. So from there today, because we've expanded our product portfolio, not only customers can do that in the world of cloud with us, you know, and now with a Snowflake or a Databricks or an Azure or an AWS, but it's many flavors of also that data integration, ETL, ELT, structured data, unstructured data, batch, ETM, and, and streaming, that is magnified. But what has been added to that is many other use cases like master data management, creating a single view of a customer. So if I'm a Kroger, I want to get a single view of Anurag U. Then you walk into my store. I want to get a single view of my supplier to make sure they can provide the right products to my, uh, to my store. Single view of a product to understand which SKU goes to which customer from which supplier. Third is all around integrating cloud applications. Hyper automation, all the world around automation that you see. I have hundreds of cloud native applications running around. How do I integrate them so I can understand, you know, and do analytics from there because everybody houses data in a different way. And lastly, data governance and privacy, you know, and not just for regulatory compliance, as customers want to democratize data. If Kroger wants to have every analyst get access to data, they can't have it the wild west. They want to govern it for a variety of reasons. So the use cases across an enterprise have expanded significantly. And customers are like Kroger, I give an example, Unilever, running this supply chain through Informatica's MDM, or a FDA trying to understand the whole drug, when the drug recall happens, it goes through that whole IBMC platform. Those are the newer use cases, much, much more beyond the classic ETL on-prem analytics. You know, if I was to look at any company that's out there or any large tech company, for some reason or the other, they're always focused on data. You know, look at IBM talking about the reason why companies should move to hybrid cloud is because a lot of the data that's on-premise is hidden and not, you know, examined properly. When you look at uh, Salesforce, for example, they acquired MuleSoft to do exactly that single customer 360 view. Before, for, you know, I, I've heard about the customer 360, I guess, bandwagon for a good five to seven years now. What is kind of the, you know, if, if you were to go to a client and try to sell that discussion, what are some of the pushbacks or the arguments you, you hear against it? Or what are the friction points? Because in my view, we should have had a lot more, I, I guess, acceptance of this concept. I see a lot of marketing around it, but, you know, growth rates or the TAM around this area or the recognized TAM around this area is still, I would say, relatively low compared to the opportunity. I'll give you a two-prong answer. In our case, that bandwagon is a freight train. And the, re the reason for that is very simple. I think, in fact, if anything, we haven't done a great job of marketing it to your point, Anurag. Customer 360, MDM has been a rocket ship for us. And Customer 360 is the rocket ship use case within MDM. 
whether it is acquiring new customers or understanding churn, that's a use case that every customer uses. So that has been on a tear for us. And the simplest way to think about it is that what we do is so unique. Because if you think customer, you go to an enterprise and say, where is your customer data? Is it in Salesforce? Is it in Adobe? It is in ServiceNow? Is it in SAP? Is it in your some legacy app? Is it in this database? It is in that warehouse? It's everywhere. So if they want to understand Anurag better so that they can retain you or acquire you, they go to us because we sit in the middle as a Switzerland of data doing that customer 360 through our MDM. So that has been a great use case. And examples of that, as I said, take all these examples that I gave you of the different companies. They are creating that single view to understand you and service you. So for that use case has been a big driver of our MDM and business 360 journey, as we like to call it. So if, if, if I look at it, is it a hindrance that some companies have a lot portion of their assets on-premise versus cloud? You know, from your viewpoint, technically, is it harder to pull data from one area or the other? You know, cloud actually has created more fragmentation on the right. It, it, in, in a strange way, you know, we can think about technology platforms and, you know, I've lived through technology cycles many a time. Cloud has allowed us too many, too many things. But, you know, in the on-prem world, there was fragmentation. Cloud, actually, there is 10x the fragmentation. Especially in the world of front office, you see the number of marketing apps, number of customer apps, number of CX apps. So fragmentation and complexity of the front office is actually through the roof. So that actually has gotten worse. So when I talk to customers, CDOs, CIOs, when they are serving the CROs or the CMOs, that's their biggest struggle because there is no one single store of customer data. So that has become more complex in the world of cloud. Yeah, I completely understand. And this is why it's always baffled me that, you know, despite a lot of the, the hype, if I look at the companies that I cover, it's, it's been surprisingly that the size of this business is not larger. All right. So let's look at the current business that you have. You know, you have been, as you said, on this cloud journey for a little over six years now or around six years. You know, what portion of your revenue do you, you know, do you think is on premise right now and what portion is on cloud? And what do you think this ratio could be over the, over the next five years? And, and, you know, what's your path to, or what, how, how should we think about this journey? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, again, if you, so, so first of all, to give you a little bit of the history on the numbers and that, that can give you a sense of the cloud business. So cloud business is growing ridiculously fast compared to any other business. This year, we've guided the street to rough and tough about four, 445, $450 million of cloud ARR, growing at 40%. Just think of that. I mean, I'm going to round off numbers, half a billion dollars of cloud ARR growing at 40%. That's a pretty explosive growth company. And if you kind of step back, Informatica, as I said, the legacy one daughter Informatica had licensed, tied to that was maintenance. That's half a billion dollar of maintenance. I'll keep that aside. In 2016, when we started from scratch, and think of it this way, a startup got built, and we went to the world of subscription. Almost from nothing to today, this year, seven years later, we've guided to a billion dollar of subscription ARR. In that billion dollar of subscription ARR, this is by the way, all coming from new products and the new platform IDMC. Half of that is roughly cloud. So you can see already my new ARR is half cloud. And total ARR this quarter grew at about 30 something. Cloud ARR grew at 40. So you can see cloud is outpacing. And as we see our cloud business is completely outpacing the on-prem business, even in the new world. And I fully expect that to be the primary business in the coming years. Secondly, we also have the legacy maintenance customers running the old workloads and we are moving them to the cloud. And that's in its early stages because these are operational workloads and people running their 10K, 10Qs. But in that, 
what we are seeing actually to our good surprise, for every dollar of maintenance, I'm getting $2 of cloud ARR. So customers are looking to move. So cloud is absolutely moving ahead at pretty, pretty significant scale and, and pace for us. You know, one of the things I, I focus on quite a bit when I look at, you know, let's say when, when I look at SAP or others is what portion of your net new ARR comes from existing customers versus new customers? Because uh -huh. you're right. I mean, you have a sticky customer base that's going to stick with you. But if you move them to the cloud, that's just transference of one revenue over the next period. But would love to understand, you know, how the new customers are coming in or new logos that were not Informatica customers before. Yeah, so I think our subscription business, which is basically all the new platform, intelligent data management cloud, which is both cloud and multi-tenant cloud and single-tenant cloud, all of it in that. Half of that is new customers. That has been the biggest, that has been the biggest area of growth for us. We haven't just simply sold to our existing base. Having said that, by the way, Anurag, we are a very unique company. I won't look at our existing base and say selling to them is anything bad because they bought the, they are not buying anything. They, have, they bought that old legacy product. They are buying many new products in the world of cloud from us. So to us, when we sell the new stuff, actually it ends up being almost a new sale. But having said that, half of our subscription customers are new to subscription from us. And in that world, again, uh, you know, we, we, again, as I said, in the cloud world, we have a very unique place. In fact, we just hosted our customer conference in Myanmar, first time since pandemic hit. And we had all the key hyperscalers there. We had AWS, Azure, GCP, Snowflake, Databricks, and we announced the new partnership with Oracle as well. So we had Thomas Korean with me on stage, Scott Gutsy with me on stage. So we have this unique place as a Switzerland of data, where, it, where we, all of these workloads we can manage it in a multi-cloud, hybrid cloud world for the large enterprise customers. If I remember when I, when I had looked at, you know, your company a few years ago, I remember in the, in the Gartner Magic Water, you're pretty much, you know, on top of almost all of them that's related to data. Now, these new logos that you got are the 50% of the new subscription customers. Why would they not customers before? Is that, is that because the product was too expensive or are these SMBs? You know, how did they... What was the, what was the trigger factor for them that said, okay, you know what we need to be on this bandwagon? Yeah. So first of all, we don't sell to SMBs. We sell to largely enterprise and mid-market, you know, to a certain level. So, so many new customers happened for two reasons. First of all, we had many more use cases. We went from a single product to seven product categories on the platform. So we are serving much broader suite of use cases. So more customers have those use cases by definition, and they can begin anywhere and go anywhere. And number two is. As I don't know, we went from license to subscription. You can also see in the old days of license, you sell these mega big deals. Now the average ASP has come down. So customers can begin, start small and grow with us. And by the way, proof to that testament, that has happened. Our, subscri our subscription ARR per customer, we tried that number, which is average subscription ARR per customer, has handsomely grown every year. In fact, this quarter again, it grew in 20 plus percent category. So you can see, Customers can start small with us and naturally they have many more use cases so they can keep growing with us. So that allowed us to expand the footprint. So, you know, when I, again, I'm very impressed to hear a lot of these numbers because when I was looking at just consensus estimate, you know, your growth rate was around 11 to 13%, which is to me, you know, somewhere roughly in the same ballpark as the entire software market. So, which has obviously been hidden by a lot of the, or the cloud growth is hidden by the, the on-premise part of it. So when do, when do we see that, you know, pivot happen when the cloud portion is going to be, I guess, bigger than the other one and the, and the growth acceleration, you know, 
you know, you know jumps up. You know, I think that's that's a that's a great question. And again, I think when we talk to the analysts, they understand. So you have, you have to kind of separate out. As I said, if you take out the our total revenue is a sum of subscription revenue and the maintenance revenue. And maintenance revenue will never grow because we've stopped selling license. In fact, it's going to decline and we're going to move it to the cloud over the period of time. So I actually take that away, which is what the average of 11-12% comes out to. I think the number to look at for us is the subscription revenue mode. And that's in the 20s. So the, so the billion dollar of subscription that we've guided to this year, ARR, that's growing in the 20s and 30s. And that's where our, that's where the new workloads are and that's where the street is looking for us to go. And that's what we focused on. So we look at total subscription revenue, subscription ARR, cloud ARR, not as much as the total revenue growth because that half a billion maintenance actually, if anything, over the course of seven, eight, nine years will migrate to the cloud of RAG. And that's a captive yeah. base of ours. And we are, that's where we get a dollar of cloud maintenance to a $2 of cloud. What is the impact on margins? Because one of the biggest issues in some of this thing is, you know, your growth slows down, yet you have to, you know, spend quite a bit. So what is the, what is, I guess, the, you know, overall impact on margins in the near term and how, you know, when they start pivoting upwards again? I actually don't even know if they're compressing. I, I should, but I don't know. Actually, I, I was going to say that we are a very unique company. We pivoted from license to subscription, first of all, without degrading our margins. And we are pivoting from subscription to cloud without actually, to be honest, degrading the margins much. Our gross margin is still hovering 80. And we've been in the 80s. And we still create a ton of, by the way, as we, as we pivoted to more cloud this year, in Q1 or Q2 earnings call, I guided towards more cloud this year. We've held our operating income guide for this year, even, even with the FX entrance. The reason for that is that we are, you know, we're a scale company. We know how to manage our OPEX very well. We are very globally distributed at talent. And even as cloud scales, we get scale efficiencies in managing the cloud. So in some ways, we've been very good in managing our gross margin and operating margin in these transitions. So we don't see a whole lot of compression there. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, as I said, I should have researched that before. But anyway, so let's, let's get into the hyperscale cloud providers because I think you just mentioned that you had, you know, you work with all of them. So if I'm a customer and I decide to pick one cloud provider over the other, how do I, how do I you know, use them and then utilize your products at the same time? Yeah, so if you think of the, first, first of all, majority of the customers, as you know, are in a multi-cloud world. Seven, eight years ago, they would pick one and they say, look, you know, I'm going to find a way to learn cloud. But today, that's not the case. Everybody had already picked one and now they're all in the case. I'm not, not only picking two, I may be picking three or four, to be very honest. And in that world, see, the cloud providers are in the business of taking AWS and Amazon. Hey, either I'm an infrastructure provider, IaaS, or I'm a provider of databases, at best data warehouses, or applications or BI tools. They don't do all, all the things we do, which is data management, integration, MDM, governance, all so on and so forth. That's where they partner with us. And they partner with us, Anurag, for a very important reason, because customers want them to partner with us. At the end of the day, you have to kind of step in the shoes of a customer. They're in a multi-cloud, fragmented, complex world. They need a Switzerland of data in the middle. Otherwise, what they will do, they'll keep moving data from point A to one provider to another, to another, to another, to do anything. And before you know, they're spending a lot more money and they have less velocity. So hence, we come in the middle and become this glue for a customer in this complex world. And these guys don't do these workloads. That They're not in the business of data management. They're in the business of data, data warehouse, databases, so on and so on. Which is where you see an Azure or an AWS partnering and competing with a Snowflake or database, but not in our case. Yeah, you know, I, I this has been a kind of a revelation that a lot of companies have become cloud agnostic and are 
actually reaping the benefits of being the glue in between. So when, when you look at this world, who do you put as your primary competitor? You know, that, that when you go in an RFP and you try to win a deal and then you, you know, either lose some or win some, how do you bracket them up in which categories? Yeah, and I think a good way to look at it, first of all, there are, there are two ways to look at competition. We are a best of breed provider, the seven product market categories I mentioned, and we are a platform provider. There is nobody, we, we have a unique place where we have, there is nobody at the scale we have in our market. Nobody has a platform. Nobody even goes beyond one product category. Our competitors of New World are basically smaller competitors who are basically in only one product market category. None of them even span more than one to two. Forget seven and none of them have a platform. And the best way to look at them is, you know, the magic quadrants that we are in and we are the leader in all magic quadrants that you mentioned. You can see the many small guys in that. So we have smaller competitors who all got started in the last seven years. By the way, the same way we were starting our new business in the last seven years, they all got funded in that time. So, but nobody at a scale, they're mostly single product companies, none multi-product or platform. So those are our competitors, small, single product, single feature companies. And is there a reason why, I mean, I guess, you know, if you were to ever lose a deal, is there a reason why it happens? Is it price or is it something else? You know, there's always price in the mix, right? You know, there's always going to be. I think the best way to look at it is that we in the enterprise segment have done a pretty, pretty good job because enterprises are not looking at just price. They're looking at roadmap, enterprise scale, customer success, making sure that we can, we can carry them forward, you know, resiliency in the world of cloud. So we tend not to lose deals in that segment. But of course, when you go down market, there's always going to be somebody who's very willing to, if, if, I'm, if I'm a startup, I look at this way. Well, when we were going IPO, I remember we used to apologize for making money. I mean, people can win a deal for losing. And, and typically, that's not what we do. When you ask me about margins, we've been a very, I would say, a very prudent business. So that's typically will always be the case. But I look at it this way, hey, there's, you know, global 2K or global 5K. 80% of enterprise IT spend sits there. And that's a complex multi-cloud world. Let's go focus there. Yeah, no, I agree. And in fact, if I was to go out and see the, all the companies that have gone public in the last two years, you're probably one of the most profitable ones in that. So let's talk a little bit about that area as well, that, you know, you've seen that valuations in the software world have, you know, created since November quite a bit. What's your appetite in terms of, you know, organic growth versus acquisitions? How do you think about it? You know, what kind of areas do you think you will look to invest in going forward in the R&D, you know, in terms of R&D or functionalities you want to want to build? And do you want to buy it or build it? Yeah, so I think we've been, first of all, we've been very good about organic building. We built out the whole cloud native platform organically. And we've been very diligent acquirers. We've been in the last seven years, even if we, we did small acquisitions, we do more tuck-ins, feature acquisitions, that purely for R&D and accelerating a feature on a roadmap. And we've been pretty good about it. And, you know, you know, I've been in the world of consulting before and we all know, right, acquisitions are a 50% hit rate for us. We've been very good. In fact, majority of our acquired employees, leaders stay back with the company. So we've been very good about that. Now, as I look forward, no doubt about that, that there is, you know, compression in the market and presents great opportunities. But we've been very, we've been very clear. We're going to be very prudent acquirers. No big bang acquisitions because we kind of really don't need it. You know, when we are investing a billion in R&D leader in the magic quadrant, defined product categories, we have the privilege of leading the market. So we will be net acquirers, prudent acquirers, no big bangs, small to mid-sized acquisitions if, if they come by. But we don't have any compelling need to. So we will be good opportunists in that and see where the market goes. And, you know, do you, you know, have you been building kind of an, this, this AI analytics within that 
within your data framework or you let somebody else come and take care of it and you just take care of the data piece of it. So now kind of step back. So give you a little color. So when we, when we talk about a platform, which I call, which I said is intelligent data management cloud, IDMC. So the way the platform is, this platform has seven product market categories, data integration, app integration, data quality, MDM, data catalog, data governance and privacy and data marketplace. And below those products sits the common layer of AI where you're going. So we built our own AI called Claire. Claire came from Clairvoyant. You know, you, you get Clairvoyant if you use our AI. I, and, and our AI is embedded in every product. Each product has AI embedded in it. So you can, you naturally get the benefit of Claire. And then the third layer of the platform is our universal connectivity, metadata, scale connectivity. We have 50,000 plus connections. We can connect to anything and everything. And this whole platform is multi-cloud, native cloud, hybrid cloud. So that's the way to do it. So our AI, in fact, we launched AI in 2018 at Informatica World. So we've been honing it for four years now. It's gotten to pretty significant scale now. Yeah, Driving two things, intelligence and productivity, helping customers increase productivity and get intelligence both at the same time. And that's good. You know, you had mentioned something about acquired companies and their leaders staying back. You know, another big issue that we are facing right now or they are seeing right now is employee retention and the availability of talent. What are some of the, I guess, initiatives or areas that you have focused on that can help you, or, you know, mitigate some of that pressure? And, you know, in terms of recruitment, are there anything, uh, I guess, beyond the norm that, that you are doing? I mean, I think all of us can agree that, you know, employees in the next gen hiring and retaining is a whole different level that we have reached to. And I think I'll go back that, you know, so, you know, we talked about these things and I'll come to this. We have three pillars as a company. One is innovation. Second is customer centricity. And we touched upon those. Third one is our values. Look, my belief has always been, you can throw any kind of money at people. People end up going to, people end up staying at places for primary reasons where either they like the manager, they believe in the value system of the company and they believe they're growing. And money plays a role, but not the only role. And in, you know, there are people who will only come and go for money and doesn't matter what you do, they'll come and go. We've been very maniacal about who we are as a company values. We give people great innovation to work with. You see the work they get to do, cutting edge work. We got great customers, we're growing. And our values actually are data. T means do good. A means act as one team. T means think customer first and A means aspire to innovate. And maniacally, we've driven that and our actually uh, retention rates have been lower than, higher than retention. Attrition rate has been lower than the industry in tech, in spite of the fact we went from privatization back to the public markets. So we've been blessed. Now, having said that, are we facing the current headwinds of retaining people? Yes. And I, my belief is other than values, communicating. As a leader, I communicate a lot. I do monthly emails, weekly emails sometimes, multiple all hands. People want to, People want to listen and know where you are, what your value system is. Those are things that are different than I would say five years. And is it, you know, in terms of recruitment, I, again, you know, the U.S. has been challenged over the last few years with just the, the shortage of IT labor, labor. Have you been, you know, shifting the sourcing across the globe, Canada, Eastern Europe, or anywhere else, which is, you know, which is now emerging to be a bigger area of, of engineers? This is where we were fortunate. We were already pretty well spread across the globe. So when I remember back in 2016, I had already, you know, we had locations across the globe and we decided to create core areas of scale. So by the way, we have a big center in India, you know, multiple cities. We have a, obviously other than the Bay Area, we are in Toronto. 
We are in Tel Aviv. We are in Dublin, Ireland. We are in Stuttgart, Germany. We are quite a small company and actually found a way into Poland. So we've been very good about actually finding talent in all these key, and these are all key locations where great talent sit. So we, in fact, India, we have celebrated 15, 16 years. So we are at scale over. So we were blessed with having a global footprint so we can hire in different areas where, when things became a bit tighter in, let's say, Silicon Valley. And, you know, I, I would say that you're one company similar to most of the other large cap I, I look at that has been around for a very long period of time. So you must have seen several recessions in your lifetime. Can you please give us some idea, you know, even going back to the 2008-9 timeframe and then later on, how do customers respond in, in, in a recession? What portion, what portion of the business is pretty resilient? What portion gets impacted? What are some of the pluses or the minuses whenever we see an economic slowdown? Yeah, no, I think you're very right. So we've seen, and I went back in time, we saw the 2000 dot-com bust, 9-11, 2008 crisis, and we saw COVID very recently. So we have four in our history where we can go back and see how the company did. And each time we actually went COVID, I analyzed the business for all of these times. And each time we, I saw that we came out bigger. And each time Infrabed had become bigger and bigger. And, and why? So we see three things. First of all, if you are solving mission-critical workloads, which is what we do, your renewal rates stay very strong. And that's a test for a good business. And our renewal rates, by the way, have stayed in mid-90s. We're top quartile in the industry, 95%. And by the way, our these are maintenance renewal rates. Our cloud renewal rate has touched the maintenance renewal rate already, mid-90s. So renewal. If you're serving mission, customers will pay you renewals. Second is, there, there's definitely lengthening of deal cycles, compression on pricing. But customers continue to spend in general on what I call business-driving mission-critical workload. So you can see slowness of demand, but you don't see, you, you can see compression of deals, but you tend to see customers are still spending in those areas. And we saw that. A great example of that is during COVID, April, May timeframe, when the whole world was shut down, American Airlines did a deal with us. And I kid you not, I was shocked. I called, just wanted to understand why. I mean, I mean this is an airline, grounded. In fact, they won the Innovation Award at this year's Informatic Award. And their answer to me was exactly that. Hey, the business may be shut down now, but we got to come out and run a business. So I need to understand my customers better. So that's second thing. You'll see deals shortening, but they'll keep spending in mission-critical work. Third is... Things that we saw, we talked about it. Customers will obviously delay payment cycles, so on and so forth. But if your bad debt does not go up, stays the same. Because these are all marquee customers. That's another good test. So those are things to see in your businesses and we've seen to how to see what people do and how they react in a down cycle. Perhaps we can talk a little bit about the other trends as well that you see, you know, the shift to a cloud infrastructure or cloud applications and, and other areas. Uh, again, in your, you know, the last few years, what have been some of the, I would say, the the highlights of technology changes that you have seen in the industry, which eventually, you know, forces you to change the way either you sell or develop products? And and how how has that changed just in the last few months? You know, whether it's cloud infrastructure or analytics or AI or anything, we'd love to, love to learn more from you on that. So three things here. I think the biggest thing that happened in the last five, six years you know, we were, we have talked about the word digital a lot, but I could, I think the word digital was more digital modernization six, seven years ago. You know, putting a new cloud app in mod, is modernizing, not transforming. Digital transformation, companies are actually running their businesses differently. 
So three things happen. Companies are launching new products and services. Nobody is, nobody is stuck in the same world. Companies have become different companies. You look at a car company. Is Tesla a car company or a tech company? How do they roll out products and features, right? Which is what every car company is trying to copy. Companies are trying to engage with customers differently. And by the way, for our, and third one is building new business models. And when you look at that, many new buyers have come into the market. We used to sell to IT 10 years ago. Today we sell to IT and business equally. The, my buyer could very well be evaluating, hey, you know, I want to run a customer centricity project. I'm in the marketing org. I don't understand tech, but I understand business. So new, to be honest, everybody has become a data buyer right now because everybody wants. So we've seen more users, more buyers. We've seen obviously people wanting to understand. Everybody wants to be, a, every company is a tech company, but they want to understand tech through the lens of business. So we've seen that happen at grand scale. And that's the one change we've gone through, you know, and we've seen our, our, our whole industry go through selling more to business buyers, not just IT buyers, increasing the velocity of selling, making it easy for customers to buy and use the product because people can want to go to your website, see, they don't want to talk to you. They've Googled you. They want to go to your website. They want to buy, they will do competitive analysis on the web. And oh, by the way, they want to try and buy. So, you know, can I just download something and, and try and then I'll see whether I want to buy more. Those are the things that have happened a lot. And we participate in that change. And I think that's here to stay. I mean, consumerization of IT, if you can call it, is actually happening more now than actually happened six years ago in, in enterprise infrastructure software. You know, my only comment on Tesla is that it's got 20% gross margin. So it's definitely not a tech company for me. But uh, anyway, but, but, but when I look at, the, you know, the recent comments from Microsoft about inflation and how people are, you know, perhaps shifting more of their infrastructure to the cloud, in order to cut some, you know, costs and, and things like that. What's your take on it in the next five years? You know, what happens to this wide footprint of the on-premise business we have? We have, you know, Oracle's databases everywhere. We have Snowflake trying to get into this market. And then we have Microsoft moving their databases to the cloud, or they already have a very strong cloud database. How do you think the, you know, the overall world of data and data management evolves? And then, you know, who will be kind of the likely big players in the area even five to seven years from now? So I think, first of all, let's go to the cloud even faster. I mean, look at Oracle now. They've built out their cloud and they've done a tremendous job. They put their head down in the last couple of years. And now our partnership with them is to move their workloads to the cloud. Those are our joint customers. But Microsoft obviously is already there, AWS. So I think it's all good. Having said that, I think, look, there's always going to be some footprint remaining on-prem. Not everybody moves to cloud. So that, I, I, it's a cloud-first world. No doubt about that one. You know, there's going to be no one winner in the mega players. I think there's going to be, now there is obviously consolidation, but there's, there's all of them are going to stay around. There's many Oracle workloads that are going to go to Oracle. In fact, you saw Microsoft and Oracle partner with each other. <laughs> so, 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 and you know, I think the Venn diagrams are there. Oracle runs their own, sorry, Microsoft runs their own data warehouse and so does AWS, but Snowflake runs on their infrastructure. So they are frenemies. So does Databricks. It's a frenemy, right? I compete with your data warehouse and data lake, but I run on your infrastructure. So I give you that. So to me, first of all, the cloud is going to be definitely primary. It's going to be a lot more fragmented world in the middle of cloud. People overthink that I'm going to go to one provider. I know large companies who are like, I'm AWS, I'm Azure, I'm GCP. Oh, by the way, I'm also using Spoknik. I'm also using Databricks for this workload. So, on. so I, I don't see anybody. Everybody's going to use more and more of those. So I think fragmentation is going to get worse. Third one is, I do believe that Anurag, you've touched upon that first. The world is getting so complex. 
AI has to play a role, not just in intelligence, raw automation. We cannot throw, we just can't throw more bodies at the problem. So, and I think that's a struggle every customer is having. So, hey, give me more AI, not as fluff, operational AI. Let me, as an example, we, you know, our MDM matches records. So we have many complex algorithms that does that, but AI goes on the side and says things that the algorithm doesn't catch. So give me that versus humans trying to catch things. And that's, that trend is just going to scale more and more. Let me switch to my final question. And one of the things that I have been very intrigued on in the last uh, year or so is 5G is really catching up. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that leads to a crazy amount of key devices that are out there. How, how does that impact your business? Because the data generation would be at a very different scale. And, you know, what are you going to do to capitalize on that? That data has to go somewhere, right? So we absolutely do. I mean, you pick up any raw streaming data, click data, click stream data. This ultimately, it's going to go into some level, some database and some data warehouse and has to be managed, normalized, quality, put quality on it to be matched with something to be analyzed. So as I say, more data, more fragmented data, more types of data, more latency of data, all of those vectors ultimately need data management. You can't just take that data, throw it into a data warehouse, and then what? Half of that data is junk, right? So you have to not put data quality in there. So we see that. In fact, some of our large customers, the, the, the biggest, the two biggest telcos in the country are our customers. In fact, one of the big initiatives where they are partnering with us is a 5G rollout. And the first rollout there is not about data. First is, hey, each tower as I roll out, I want to make sure I manage the tower properly, get it right, <laughs> and then get the data from the tower. So I couldn't agree more that that's going to be the next five years of incremental tailwinds for, for, for a lot of industries in this space. That's good, Amitta. As always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Look forward to our discussion down the road and best of luck. Thank you, Rob. Pleasure to be here and look forward to seeing you again in the future.